You know, the psalmist said, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. I was glad when Caleb called me and said, could you preach for me on March 10th? I said, why? He said, because I'm on baby watch that week. So I got a great news for you if you don't know it already. It's a good thing he's been on baby watch because Thursday night, Lori delivered a safe, safely delivered little Juliana Marie Campbell. Let's give praise to the Lord for that. What do you say? Yeah, that's great news. Well, I got a question for you this morning. Why are we here? Why are you all here? You know why I'm here, because I got to speak today, right? Why are you here? And actually, that's a pretty good question, because you're in the minority. I don't know if you know this or not, but less than one out of four Americans are in church on any given Sunday. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff to be doing out there, right? Beautiful weather, there's great opportunities. I mean, there, there's so many places we could be, but we made the choice to be here. Why? Well, there's a guy who is an editor, a religion editor for CNN, Daniel Burke. In August of last year, they basically posed this question, why do Americans go to church and came up with 10 reasons? Let me just give you what they are. But before I do, he says this. He says, if American religion were traded as stock exchange, your broker might be advising you to sell because the trend lines don't look that great. But he goes into why do people choose to go? And here were the responses that were given in the order in which they were given. To become closer to God was the top one, which I'm glad for, 81%. So our children can have a moral foundation to become a better person for comfort in time of sorrow. Uh, finding sermons valuable, uh, with Desert Springs as an exception, of course. To be part of a faith community, to continue the family's religious traditions, feel obligated to go. There was almost a third of people that went, that went because they were obligated to go. To meet new people or to socialize, and to please their family, their spouse, or their partner. Now, there's some really good reasons in there to go to church. I mean, when I came today, I, I, it's more than just to speak. It was a great opportunity to, to uh, renew some relationships, to see familiar faces, and it's been awesome today, and to meet some new people. There's some of you who don't even know who I am and didn't know that I was a pastor here for like two years, 32 years, actually. You know, you didn't know that because you've come since I've not been here. And it's awesome to meet you guys. And so that's a good thing. But is that sufficient, really? Is that the baseline? Is that the main reason why we should come together for worship? Any of those reasons? I would say that, that the scriptures have a more foundational reason, a more central reason even than that. And some wise people in church leadership years ago wrote this down in something's called the Westminster Shorter Confession of Faith or Shorter Catechism. And I learned that as a kid growing up, and it's, but it's just as important today. It says this, what is the chief end of man? Or I would add a woman. What's the chief end of a person? You know what the answer to that is? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Don't forget that last part. It's to glorify God, it's to praise him and to enjoy him forever. That's really the baseline that we should come. Our worship, our praise should be theocentric, God-centered, not man-centered, not woman-centered. It's not egocentric. There's one author who wrote a book entitled Destined for the Throne, which is talking about where we are if we're followers of Jesus. We're destined to rule in eternity. And he says this, here's one of the greatest values of praise. It decentralizes self. The worship and praise of God demands a shift from center, from self, to God. But one cannot praise without relinquishing occupation with self. 
When praise becomes a way of life, the infinitely lovely God becomes the center of worship. And one of the best places in all of, all of Scripture points us that way, but one of the best places is the Psalms. It's right in the center of the Bible, I think, strategically located. If you drop it, usually it opens to Psalms. And Psalms is the, hip, the hymnal, so to speak, of Israel. And there's a call to worship in there that I want to use this morning with you as well. It's Psalm 105, 105. And I invite you to turn with me if you want to read. Uh, I'm not going to be able to develop. It's got 40-some verses, so I can't really develop all of those verses other than sort of give you a flyby on some of them. But if you want to turn there, this is an, just an incredible passage. And it's basically telling the people, it's a call to do this, remember to praise God. You have to remember his greatness. You remember his works, and that solicits praise. But remembering to praise God is the, is the core of this, Psalm 105. In essence, here's another way of putting it. Remembering God's amazing character and faithfulness encourages us to praise him, first with our voices, but also with our choices. The first part is the voices. Look at what it says in verses 1 through 6. Praise the Lord with your voice for his matchless character and his marvelous works. Listen. Oh, give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he has uttered. O offspring of Abram, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. This is a call to Israel, God's chosen people, to incorporate this in worship. It's an awesome psalm. Matter of fact, David uses this psalm in one of the worship services. It's listed in 1 Chronicles when they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God symbolically into the tabernacle or the huge elaborate tent that David had provided for that in Jerusalem. And he dances before the Lord, David does. He's so excited about this. And so he starts that worship service with this psalm, or at least the first half of it. So it's very important in the worship of Israel, and it should be important in the worship of God's people in the church today. But look at what it says. It says, remember to praise him. Praise him. What is praise? Praise is to elevate him. It's to, it's to worship. It's to adore. It's to extol. It's to value. To, to worship sometimes. The posture is there. Proskuneo means to, to bend the knee, to bow down. Sometimes people worship with hands raised. Sometimes people worship kneeling. Sometimes people worship laying flat on their face in a position of abject humility before the God. Because God is God, not us. He's God. We are not. You got that, right? Well, that's the guts, that's the heart of worship itself, is to praise him. Now, I want to give you a little Hebrew lesson since we're learning from the Psalms. Okay, can you say halal? Halal. Halal means praise. Can you say yah? You, that's pretty hard, I know. It's multi-syllabic, so it's like, it's, no, it's one syllable. You got that. Okay, that's a little hard. Yah. Can you put those together? Hallelujah. Can you say that? Hallelujah? Can you say hallelujah? hallelujah? Yeah, you know what you're just saying? Anybody get the gift of interpretation here? 
You just said praise the Lord. That's what hallelujah means is praise the Lord. And that's what he's basically calling them to do is to sing hallelujah to the Lord. Lift your voices. Don't you think the worship team just did an awesome job this morning in leading us to the Lord? Absolutely. And they worked hard with their music, with their instruments. They worked hard with the instruments of their voice. But listen to some of the things. It talked about he split the sea so we could walk right through it. That's extolling, that's reminding people, that's remembering historically that God split the Dead Sea, the Red Sea, so that the Israelites could walk right through. And it says, we stand in perfect love. God provides. We stand so we can sing. This is a part of God's people, whether it's the Jews or whether it's the Gentiles or whether it's people of all times. We are to worship God. Focusing on his amazing character and his incredible works. And we need to be reminded of that. It's a marvelous thing to have personal times of worship. That's excellent. But I also, I've heard Caleb say this several times, the value of corporate worship collectively coming together is to how he would be standing beside. There was one case in particular where he was standing beside a woman who had just lost her baby. And she was singing... It is well with my soul. And that ministered to Caleb, as well as to anybody else that's around when someone professes, I'm singing the works of God whether I feel like it or not. I got to tell you, just being real candid, I, I was out one day, this is a few years ago, and don't think I've played more golf since I have, I've not retired, you know that, right? I'm working full-time at Phoenix Seminary, doing a lot of other stuff to encourage pastors. So I've played less golf since I stepped down from the senior leadership role than before. So this was before that. I'm hitting some balls at a golf course, and a guy comes up to me. He's one of those overtly positive guys. He's always so excited. He's, oh, the sun is out. It's wonderful. It's great. Isn't life good? Isn't life good? And it was a very difficult time in life for me. And so I honestly just said, no, life sucks right now. Like, what? Pastors aren't supposed to say that. I said, Pastors aren't supposed to be honest. I said, Life sucks, but God is good. Can, can I get an amen to that? Yeah. How many times are we in life and it's just the bottom has fallen out, but it causes us to look up and say, But God, you're good all the time. Man, I wish I had an hour to speak just on that. I don't. We'll keep going. We need to praise the Lord. For his awesome character and his incredible works. We also need to praise God for his faithfulness to keep his promises. You know, you and I break our promises every day. God doesn't. He keeps his promises. He may not keep them in, in our time, but he keeps his promises in his time and his way. He is good to remember and keep his promises, and we need to remember that, and we need to praise him for that. That's what it talks about in verses 7 through 11. Well, what promise is it particular talking about? That he remembered his promise to Abram, and he remembered his promise that was then given again to Jacob and to Isaac. What did he do? What was that promise? Well, the promise we find in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I'm just going to read it off the screen for you. And the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your kindred, that's your family, from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. Great so that you will be a blessing. And then he goes on to say, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in all of the families of the earth, 
you shall be blessed. God did make a great nation out of Abram. By the way, little aside, the name Abram, what does that mean? Father. Abram was 75. He had no kids. That seems like a cruel joke that God would say to Abram, here's your name, father, and you don't have any kids. Well, he's promising he's going to make him a great nation. So he believes, okay, God's going to give me children. This is awesome. By the way, Emily and I are expecting our first grandchild in June. Is that awesome? Praise the Lord. But it was praising God even before we found out that news. Because with children or without children, God is great. God is good. So, Abram, you're going to make a great nation. Okay, 15 years, almost 20 years goes by, still no children. Abram, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to change it to Abraham. Well, what does Abraham mean? It means father of nations. God, you sure you know what you're doing here? But God was not slow about his promise. God gave to him that child of promise. God gave to him and made him a great nation, including from whom Jesus came. And by the way, if you don't know this, Jesus was Jewish. You got that right? So if you ever have a hard time with friends or neighbors that are Jewish, understand, look, you're having a hard time with Jesus' family. Treat them with love. Treat them with respect. Treat them with care. Because Jesus loves all the children, whether Jews or Gentile, whether black or white, whether old or young, treat people as Jesus treated them. And God blessed all the world through this man, Abram, in his time and his way. And it's reminding them, calling them to praise God. There is a book, Mid-Course Correction, written by Gordon MacDonald that speaks to this that I think is really helpful he says, underlying this command to leave as a sense of totality, because Abram's being asked to leave everything. He is to leave everything that's familiar, everything that's safe, everything that's meaningful, and he will not be returning. This is not a summer cruise. How powerful was this voice that spoke to him? Perhaps in a proverbial sense, this voice is comparable to the power of rocket thrusters pushing the space shuttle away from the gravitational force of the Earth. We moderns who come and go, move from place to place in the world, change relationships at whim, have no real idea what it meant for Abram to defy the gravitational force of his culture, which, by the way, was in modern-day Iraq. It was the cradle of civilization. The command to leave, spoken by the voice, had to break the power of a thousand cultural stays. No, Abram, don't do it. You don't know what you're getting into. You're going to leave all of this. You're going to leave the technology of this time. You're going to leave the comfort of this time. You're going to leave the family. You're going to leave your possessions. You're going to leave all your influence. And you're going to go where? To a place that God says he's going to take you? What are you thinking? No, for Abram to believe God, which he did, the scriptures say, and was credited to him as righteousness, he left based upon simply the voice of God who said, leave to go where I want to take you. Friends, that's what they're called to remember and to celebrate. And what we look for in this passage, from this point to the end of the chapter, we're going to look at several things as to how the Lord showed up, how the Lord acted, and they're being reminded of how God acted in history with the people of Israel. I'm just going to do a flyby. You're going to feel like you're drinking out of a fire hydrant. I get that. So just suck it up and deal with it, all right, for the next few minutes. 
The Lord powerfully protected them when they were weak and vulnerable. Verses 12 through 15. When they were wandering around, they were going from Iraq, from Ur of the Chaldees to toward Canaan. There were other tribes and clans that were around them that were more powerful. This was a family group. This was the beginning of a nation. And God said, I will bless those that bless you and I will curse those that curse you. And he protected them. They've been reminded of that. When they were weak and vulnerable, he protected them. The Lord abundantly provided for them in a time of extreme famine. Culturally, what happened is they were growing, they were developing, but there was a famine that was on the horizon. It was still a number of years down the road. But one of the descendants of Abram, his name was Joseph, was raised up. He was sold by his brothers into slavery. They told his dad a sordid story because they were jealous of him that he was killed by a wild beast. And here's his clothing soaked in blood and all this type of thing. And the father is deeply grieved. But what happened is Joseph goes to Egypt and through a lot of detours, Joseph ends up being the second in command by God's sovereign care to Pharaoh. And he comes before Pharaoh and they said, we got all this grain. What are we going to do with this grain? And Joseph said, it's, it's seven years of plenty that's going to be followed by seven years of famine. We need to store it up. So Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of that. Well, guess where the, the fledgling nation of Israel went when all the rest of the world was starving because of the famine? God led them to Egypt. And in Egypt, they were reunited with Joseph and they prospered. But they prospered so much under the Lord's guidance, that they were despised by the Egyptians, by their hosts, so to speak, that nationality. And they were threatened by them, so they imprisoned them. They enslaved them. They were scared that this group that was emerging, this group of immigrants, was going to take away our way of life. And they were going to overcome us, and they were going to be more numerous than we. And out of that mindset, they tried to repress them and hold them down. And so that's what happens is God not only provided for them in time of famine, he miraculously delivered them when they were enslaved and abused by the Egyptians. Now the passage that goes through here in verses 26 through 36 enumerates how again God raised up a person, his name was Moses, and he brought ten plagues against the gods of Egypt. It was on the Nile, it was on the livestock, it was on other stuff, but it was upon the gods that were behind those things to basically say, I am God, none of these are. And after 10 plagues, they expel them. It's what we call the Exodus. Then God provides for them, compassionately meeting their needs in the desert, even though they had thought he had forgotten them. They cried out, God, you brought us out here to die of thirst. God provides them water. God, you brought us out here to starve. He provides them manna, which is bread from heaven. He provided them quail when they got sick and tired of the manna. They grumbled. They complained against God. And every time, God still provided for them because he loved them. It wasn't dependent upon how great they were, how thankful they were. So this is what God is doing. And they're reminding people that God provided for them. In verses 43 through 44, God faithfully kept his promise to give them a homeland. And he prospered them there. Now, why did he do that? God has always cared for all the peoples of the world. Remember, I'll make you a blessing to all the nations of the world. His program has always been for the world. But in Israel, he wanted to create a situation where people would look and see that the Lord is good, taste and see that the Lord is good, and they would be drawn to him. But Israel didn't follow him. And so it all came apart. But God still kept his promise. He provided them with the land 
And basically what it says was not just to provide them with the land. He called them to praise the Lord with their choices. I'm calling you to do this so that you will follow me, so that you will obey me. See, for you and for me as well as the Israelites, it's not just praising God with their voices. That's easy to do. Sometimes it's hard, but it's a whole lot easier than praising God with their choices, with their lifestyle, day in and day out, and yet we're called to do that. Why is that important? Remembering God's amazing character and faithfulness encourages us to praise him with our voices and with what? With our choices. Now, another reason Caleb asked me to come today is not just because he was on baby watch. It was a good thing he did that. But he also wanted to remind us of some of the things God's been doing in the history of Desert Springs. I mean, I've been around here a fair number of years, but there's stuff that God was doing even before I came. So let me just give you some rapid-fire things that really parallel a lot of what he did with Israel. God called some people years ago to leave the safety of Bethany Bible Church and to go out to the Paradise Valley Mall area to start a church. Paul and Pauline Shedder, you're the only ones in the room that I know of that were a part of that original group that Dr. Mitchell came to. Within the next few years, there are a number of others that did that. I want to say, if you were here in the first few years, let's say three to five years, would you simply stand where you are right now? Would you stand, please? I've already called you out at Shedder, so you've got to stand, okay? Can we give these folks a round of applause? And I want to tell you why. Listen, they left. The power of the voice to go caused them to leave a thousand cultural stays. And they believed God for what was not yet. And God has used that in their lives. It was hard for me to come. When I was leaving another church, Camelback Bible Church, it was hard to leave an existing staff. It was hard to leave you know, a more secure salary. It was hard to leave a larger work to come out here. And even when I had godly people that I respected tell me, don't do it, don't go there, don't take that. And yet I believe God was saying, yeah. I want to tell you, friends, you never go wrong when you follow the voice of God and you serve before an audience of one that trumps all others. God called this group to leave. And God protected Desert Springs when weak and vulnerable. You know, in the early years before I was here, the very first pastor that was called, the church almost didn't make it a year because there were some undisclosed things that came up and the church almost split. But God provided good, godly leadership, some elders from Bethany that were here and people that were here that said, no, we're staying the course and it's not going to be with you. And so one of the things that God did through that is provided a man that was in the church, his name is Don Tack, who came as pastor here for seven or eight years, something like that. But I'm going to tell you something Don did. God used Don in it. And Don provided what I call still DNA of Desert Springs. And that's a heart for compassion, a heart for intervention, a heart for community involvement, a heart for caring for the least of these, for those that are marginalized that's still with us today. Praise God. God provided, God protected during that time. He provided for Desert Springs at a time of need. Jim Barley, I saw you stand up a minute ago. I'm going to tell a story on you, bro. You came in when you were first, you and Lynn were looking for the church, and, and you were looking for a church to go to, and you came, and, and there's this small group of people, and they're talking about an enormous land payment that had to be made, I think, within a week. 
And Jim and Lynn go home, and the next Sunday they get up, and, and Jim says, to Lynn says, where are we going to church today? Because remember, they were looking for church at the time. He said, I want to go back to Desert Springs. She said, why? He said, because those people are crazy. i got to see what happens. <laughs> God provided through the sacrifice and the generosity of people a huge amount for that group. But great personal sacrifice God provided within when I first came here in 86, I told the people, I said, I'm not a Lone Ranger. I can't just do this by myself. The church had never had but one pastor. You know, within nine months, we had our second full-time pastor. And we chose to have someone in student ministries because there were 10,000 students within five miles of this place. And we felt like we have to minister to those people and to their families. And God provided in amazing ways. Within a few years, we needed an education building. And that put us in some dire financial straits. But it also was a facilitation of other ministry because about a year before that, there was a woman in the church, two women in the church actually, Roberta Meyer and Lynn Labby, who wanted to do a preschool. They were doing it out of their garage. And they said, could we come and do it now that we've got this building? I said, absolutely. Knock yourself out. That's what it's here for. It's become one of the greatest preschools in this part of the valley. Perhaps anywhere that I know of, doing an awesome job. God provided Many times, years after year, there were budget crises at the end of the year. God always provided. Sometimes he provided with miraculous gifts that came in. Sometimes it was, this is all coming in, so we've got to tighten our belt and cut our budget. But God always provided what we needed. And I want to tell you something. God was seldom early, but he was never late. He always provided in amazing ways. God also delivered Desert Springs from some situations that threatened to distract and derail us at different times. There is a potential closure of the preschool after Roberta, resi not resigned, but retired, and she and Ted moved to North Carolina. Um, the climate for preschools changed in Phoenix. It was difficult for private preschools. Almost all of them were struggling financially to, to be cost-effective, to have enough students to pay the bills, and we were no exception, and our enrollment was going down, down, down to the point where there was serious consideration that we may have to close the preschool. Both with staff and with elders, we talked, and we prayed, and we said, let's give it one more year. God also provided an Amy Seitz with a team of teachers who came alongside of her, turned that puppy around. And now there's waiting lists again, and, and the, the ministry is going and thriving. God provided is the point that we need to say, and he protected us from these things. There was a number of years ago where there was an accusation of sexual misconduct against one of our youth staff. Turned out it was a volunteer. And when the, when the father came to me, I said, I don't know what this is, but we'll deal with it. He said, no, you won't. You'll cover it up. And I said, no, I won't. And so we called the police. We participated with authorities. Turned out that the accusations were correct. And a young woman was deeply wounded as a result of someone else. It was not a part of a church activity. It was not on church grounds. It was not someone else. It was a volunteer. But they got together at early morning hours. Horrible thing that happened. And though we had no legal culpability when it came to criminal aspects, we went through a civil lawsuit a number of years later that dominated conversation in many cases. God protected us during that time, even though in that period of time there was really a lot of dust in the air and there was even dissension and disagreement within our staff and leadership team that led to me resigning as the pastor here at this church. 
And yet when the elders met and they prayed about this further and discussed about it, they came back and said, we don't think it's the right thing for you to leave where you stay. Now, I can tell you, it would have been easier to leave. But I said, I think God's called me here. I don't believe that's right. And I'm not a coward. I'm not going to run. I'd be like Jonah if I did that. And I'm so glad. We have seen so many things happen since that point that have pointed people to Jesus. God protected this church through a very difficult time. God also prospered this church. Let me just tell you, we sit presently on eight and a half acres with facilities, and it's all paid for. Can I get a hallelujah for that? Can I get a praise the Lord? That is incredible how God has prospered this church. Now, I'm not just saying financially, that's good. It's not just that there's no debt. It's, look, friends, there's no debt so that what? Not so we can give less? No, we need to give more so that more ministry can happen, so that more people can come to Christ, so that more things can be done globally. This building is an example. Again, it's not just a building. It's a facility. It facilitates other things. One of the things it did, it gave us opportunity to bring in groups. And one of the first groups we brought in was a children's choir from Uganda called the Watoto Children's Choir. And at the end of that time, Emily, my wife, comes to me. She said, I'm going to Uganda. You can come if you want to. <laughs> God's voice sounds vaguely like my wife's at different times. So we went and we had, there was 16 or 18 of us. And we built a home for orphans. And then another group went the next year. And then a few years later, a third group, Emily and I went in that group as well. And we had the privilege, Emily and I did, of sitting in the home that we physically built and having a meal with that family. With the, with the mother and with the eight children, the eight orphans were in that home. When she found out that we had been there, she fell on her knees and she said, I have prayed for the day that I could meet the people who built my home. Friends, it was just, we put mortar down, we put block down, but you were the ones that God used to fund that, to supply that. God has prospered this, where there is now ministry in Africa that's going on. There's ministry in Costa Rica that's going on. There's a church plant in India that's happening because of the generosity of this church. There are many women that are coming to faith in all over the world and in this community. When I think in terms of the different men, I was writing down a list of different ones I know of who came to know Jesus as a result of this ministry. And I wept with joy. Some of them are now with the Lord. Some of those are serving the Lord in various places. We have children, students that grew up in this church. Next week, Ben Kowitzki is going to be here. You'll hear about his testimony and how God's using him in Africa and translating the word of God. We have others that are in places like Mexico. We have people who are in places of the world that we cannot mention because it's not safe for them. They're not supposed to be there as a missionary. God is prospering the work of this church and all of what's been laid before. There's influence in this community. Celebrate recovery. When people came to me and said, what are we doing to help people that are dealing with various addictive behaviors? I don't know. I, I, I'm not there. You figure it out and come talk with me about it. They started Celebrate Recovery. And as of a year ago, it was the longest running consistently Celebrate Recovery in the state of Arizona. God's using it. The Palomino community Incredible things happening in the Palomino community through this fellowship. And others are getting involved as well. In churches and ministries, 
the role that I'm in with Phoenix Seminary, but the freedom that you've given to me is to be in other places, encouraging pastors and networking them with each other and being a resource. Part of that resource, like last week I was down at Phoenix Bible Church and had the privilege to pray over and commission their new group of elders. They've never had a group of elders before. The pastors leaned on Caleb and me, but they didn't have elders. They do now. For the last nine months, I've been the preaching pastor of Bethany Bible Church. And the end of January, I had the privilege of commissioning the new pastor of Bethany, which is the church that started this one. Friends, God's using those. It's your investment. God is using Caleb in amazing ways outside of this church, in this community. In different networks of pastors, he has a great reputation because he is a wielding significant influence. And I am blessed to work alongside of him, and you are blessed to have him as your pastor. Friends, God is prospering this work. Why? So that we can have a service and we can sort of shine, shine, shine all over each other? No. He's laying a foundation so that we can represent Jesus to a community and to a world that desperately needs to know him. He has much that is left to happen. He has much that is left to come. If we will only leave our comfort behind and say yes to the voice who calls us. Hey, be here the next four or five weeks because Caleb's going to be unveiling some things that he believes God's leading us toward. You don't want to miss it. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your heart, for your love, the way you've shown that to the children of Israel, the way you've shown that to us here at Desert Springs over the years. We thank you for your amazing character, for your incredible actions toward us, for your keeping of your promises in so many ways and so many times. Father, help us to have the courage, the sensitivity to hear you, and the courage to follow where you lead. For we pray this today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.